0: where uh where we got to uh huh communion Communion, yeah we kind of got off on that just a little bit uh uh that's right uh okay i i I marked that but i wasn't sure if that was exactly right but we did end on uh, uh talking about communion uh worthiness and that was kind of the final thing that that pushed uh, Alexander Campbell out of the Presbyterian seceder, anti-burger, old light, Presbyterian (laughs) church. And so uh, on July the 31st, 1809, uh, Alexander Campbell left Glasgow, Scotland. And he had finished up his uh, university studies there. And four days later, he and his family were on a ship headed to America. And so uh, that trip went smoothly, and they they landed in New York City on Friday, September the 29th. So uh, they left in July, or the first part of uh, August, and they got to New York the last part of September. So, of course, they were sailing, and they didn't have the kind of ships we have today, so uh, it took them a couple months to get there. But uh, they left for New York once they landed there to head toward Philadelphia because... Uh, that was the area where Thomas was. And Thomas had been making inroads and, and kind of ruffling a few feathers in the denominational uh, landscape there. And, of course, he had decided to leave the seceder church too. Now, remember, uh, as we look at the restoration movement, uh, th- these uh, things happening were happening in different parts of the country and the world, uh, apart and separate from each other. Men in different areas were kind of coming to the right understanding all about the same time, and I, I think maybe that's providential. We don't know for sure, but uh, they left New York for Philadelphia, and upon uh, Thomas Campbell's learning that his son Alexander was coming, he left Washington, Pennsylvania, and he headed uh, toward Philadelphia, and they kind of met on the way. <clears throat> and so uh, their reunion uh, obviously kind of renewed their spirits, And they'd both been uh, waging a battle in the spiritual realm in in the area of theology with the denominations, and that takes a toll on you after a while. And so they were both kind of worn down, and so obviously uh, by them coming together and and reuniting, it it uplifted them. And of course, that's the way it goes, isn't it? Uh, As we uh, read through the, the whole of the Bible in different areas, the idea of having a partner to help you uh, goes a long way, doesn't it? Uh, maybe more so than anything in the realm of encouragement. Uh, steel sharpeneth steel. Uh, when uh, the Lord sent the uh, limited commission, He sent them by twos, didn't He? And so uh, the idea of having a partner really uh, helped this, uh, this family, and that would make an impact on the future of both men and a multitude of other people. And so what we're seeing here now, they come together, and these things are happening in different parts, and now we see this movement begin to take form. Now it really becomes something other than just a a couple of people here and there uh, in the minds of the denominations uh, causing problems, right? And so uh, we see, for one of the first times, this push toward... Uh, doing things properly. Now, let's keep in mind, we've already talked about Barton W. Stone, but he is contemporary with the Campbells. So what he's doing is happening as well. He's in Kentucky. He's doing things in Kentucky. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, the Campbells are kind of up in that area too, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania and uh, the Northeast. And so there are several states there where these things are happening all at one time. Now, uh, let's go back a little bit to this place in Washington, Pennsylvania, where Thomas uh, had uh, broken away from the uh, seceder church. And you remember they had put forth their articles, uh, their their beliefs, right? And uh, they called it the Declaration and the Address. And it had just been printed. Of course, uh, again, this is in early fall of 1809. And so the... Uh, uh, events of these two years were were so momentous and uh, just something that hadn't happened before in the areas where these men were working that in their writings they said the time just kind of flew by but that's that's kind of what happens when we're busy right you're busy Uh, Thomas knew Alexander was in Scotland Alexander knew his dad was over in America and they would reunite one day, but a two-year period passed. And so they're both working hard and it passed pretty pretty quickly. And uh, as they came together, they had a lot to talk about. And uh, first of all, Thomas began to talk to his son and Alexander listened patiently as Thomas told him about the things that led to his separation from the seceder church. Well... What had been going on in in Alexander's mind all this time? Well, the same things, right? Maybe not exactly the same things. I don't know that uh, necessarily the idea of worthiness in uh, uh, communion impacted Thomas that much, but it did impact him that you take the communion every first day of the week, right? And so there were a lot of things that were very similar going on in their lives that were pushing them in this direction. But here's the thing that I believe gives us the measure of these men. There was a great sadness within them of the things that were going on. They were disheartened and they were sad at the fact that this even had to happen. You know, uh, if, if people would just follow along with what the Bible says, would there be any need for a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Catholic or a Methodist or any other denomination and, of course, within each of those denominations, you have different factions like we've noticed in the Presbyterian church. Uh, <clears throat> we mentioned, uh, I don't know if it was last Sunday or Wednesday night, we talked about the uh, the Methodist split that's happening right now over the uh, argument of homosexuality and allowing uh, homosexuals to be priests within that uh, denomination. But none of that has to happen, right? So I think as we look at... <clears throat> Alexander and Thomas Campbell, or Thomas and Alexander Campbell, we see the measure of those two men in that they were saddened by the fact this was happening. They weren't trying to take uh, take the helm of a movement and to place themselves in a position where these other people had placed themselves in uh, these various denominations we've been looking at over these many weeks. Because that's normally what happened, right? uh the Catholic Church, you had this Reformation, and then you had different people uh establishing other churches. The Church of England, then you had a head of that, it was being oppressive. Then you had the Protestant movements and then you had uh the hierarchy there and people were uh being oppressive and they were doing exactly what they were leaving. Right? The people who formed the Church of England were leaving became what they left. The Protestants became what they left. And uh, so we don't see that in Thomas and Alexander Campbell. We don't see it in Barton Stone. And so uh, they were just uh, uh, distraught over this partyism. But Uh, where was the answer? The Scripture. They knew they could overcome this. They could find the answer in the Scripture. Did they have the answers at this time? No, not close. (laughs) Not even close. Uh, they were closer, but they were still far away. <clears throat> so, upon uh, getting back to Washington, PA, Alexander read this uh, declaration and address of the uh, Washington Association, and he approved of the contents. He said, all right, I like what I'm reading. That's a little odd, isn't it? There, uh, uh, What kind of mindset or what kind of thoughts need to be going on in your mind When you say, I'm leaving denominationalism with its creeds, with its articles of faith, with all these things that are happening, only to produce your own creed and articles of faith. Now, granted, much different, right? It was much different. They were uh, stating that they wanted to rely upon the Scripture, but still, uh, do we read about a, a declaration and address in the New Testament? Nope, not there, is it? At any rate, it was after having read that that Alexander determined he was going to dedicate himself uh, to uh, proclaiming the principles contained in that declaration and address. And so, and again, <laughs> this is a little ironic. To be able to devote himself to the principles contained in that declaration and address, do you know what he determined to do? I'm going to go to my chamber and I'm going to spend six months there studying the scriptures. Not the declaration and address, but the scripture, right? I was speaking with uh, Brother Ron Gilbert on the phone a couple of nights ago, a preacher at uh, South Pittsburgh. And uh, he was telling me about a situation where a young man had left the church and he went into the Episcopalian church and became an Episcopalian priest. And so... Uh, uh, some of the men from the church went and spoke with him and and he asked one of them he said have you ever read I believe it was Episcopalian have you ever read the Episcopalian prayer book and he said well no I've never read the Episcopalian prayer book he said it's the most beautiful piece of literature you'll ever read and so that's what he why he was drawn to it you know well what's that got to do with anything I love literature you know i loved reading uh, homer's odyssey i didn't care too much for part two but i loved the odyssey but am i going to devote my life to the odyssey because it's a fine piece of literature well of course i'm not going to do that no one else is either and so that's kind of what we see happening but but alexander campbell we see these men in degrees coming out of denominationalism okay i want to be able to Uh, support what I read in this declaration and address. I'm going to spend six months, I'm going to dedicate myself wholly to studying the Scripture. There's still a little disconnect there, isn't there? But they're coming out. They're doing better. And in addition to that, he said, uh, I'm going to devote myself to preaching the Word of God, and I'm not going to take a penny for it. Now, uh, he told his father that. He said, I'm not going to take any financial compensation." I kind of like what his father said. Upon hearing that, uh, his father said, Upon these principles, my dear son, I fear you will have to wear many a ragged coat. Paul wasn't opposed to taking compensation for the work that he did. Uh, But, you know, I think what we see there within Alexander Campbell are some high ideals that he aspires to, and you know, and, and I'm thankful for that. But meanwhile, Thomas Campbell had been preaching in the the homes uh, of friends, but uh, it seemed like a whole lot of the membership, or really didn't have a membership at that time, a lot of them lived near this area called Buffalo Creek. So they decided that they would uh, build in the Valley of Brush Run two miles from the junction of Buffalo Creek, and it was there on September the 16th, 1810, where Alexander Campbell preached his first sermon at the uh, Brush Run Church. And uh, as he developed his uh, preaching ability, he became quite the, the evangelist, quite the preacher. He had a very deep Scottish accent. He didn't move around the pulpit. Usually he sat on a stool, and he had a very conversational tone. And he was very simple in his presentation. He used the Scripture. And he didn't try to uh, uh, impress people with his vast knowledge. And he was a highly educated man. But he didn't try to impress people with his his, uh, academic success. He simply taught from the Scripture. And he had the ability to uh, digest the writings of other people even though they weren't Christians, okay? And I think that's very important. Just because someone is a member of a denomination, do they miss it on every level? Well, no, they don't. They don't miss it on every level. But you have to be careful, right? My library is full of uh, not so much anymore, but uh, uh, still I have a great number of books written by denominational preachers and teachers. But it's like, and I don't remember if this was Gus Nichols or... uh, Franklin Camp said this, you know, you eat the hay, you spit out the briars, just like a mule, right? And so uh, you got to go through and you got to find what's right. And he was able to do that. He was able to digest uh, what was good and get rid of what was bad. Brother Joe. It was the church, I believe. Well, it, it was headed toward being the church. And they just simply called themselves the, Bre- the Brush Run Church where Christians met. They didn't, they didn't have a, a name. They didn't call themselves any kind of a denominational name. But what they wanted to do was come together and be Christians. So they just simply said, well, we're the church at Brush Run. And so that's a... Uh, uh, they hadn't hardly gotten there yet, okay? But they were working on it. <clears throat> this is in Pennsylvania. This is in Pennsylvania. Cane Ridge is in Kentucky but this is uh, uh in that washington pennsylvania area but they're working on being the church and so you know that that's another big step they're not calling themselves after uh something else we're going they're going to take a little step back here but it, i guess it's part of growing pains <laughs> i don't know but anyway uh uh alexander campbell and uh I think it's clear in his writings, he put truth first. And that's what was able, uh, the cause of them being able to come out of this denominationalism. He wanted to know what the truth was. You know, have you ever known someone <coughs> who didn't want to go to the doctor because they didn't want to hear bad news? Look, people like that exist in the world, okay? I don't happen to be one of those people. I want to know, so I can get a, I can get, uh, get a jump on it, right? But there are a lot of people in the world that don't want to go to the doctor because they fear, uh, you know, having bad news, as if not knowing prevents them from having some kind of a terrible uh, disease or whatever. Uh, Not so with with Alexander Campbell. There are a lot of people in the religious world, right? I don't want to hear it. I'm happy where I am. Uh, You know, I've got generations of generations of family members who were this particular denomination. I'm not interested in changing, so I don't want to hear it. Don't... uh, uh, don't uh, confuse me with the facts, right? That's kind of the idea with a lot of people, and that's what Alexander Campbell was facing, what he was going to face even more. But, uh, uh, you know, he decided that he wanted truth. And so, uh, uh, after reading the third proposition in this declaration and address, which placed all authority in Scripture... Uh, now let's remember they've got this declaration and address saying they're going to put all authority on scripture and so by doing that one of the first questions Alexander Campbell had with his father was well if we're going to let the scripture be authoritative what about infant baptism that was one of the first things that came up infant baptism because that's what everybody practiced right and uh, uh, he uh uh, he asked his father what passage or portion of Scripture made that authoritative. And uh, now here's something else that happened. Often in life, events le- uh, lead us one toward one direction or another, right? Well, about this same time, Alexander Campbell had his first child, a little girl. And so obviously this idea of infant baptism was on his mind. So he decided he wanted to study. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this. And he read a whole lot of books on the study of baptism. He began to ingest that material. Uh, He uh, uh, began to study the original language to determine exactly what baptism was. And what he came to, uh, to know was that baptism, of course, is exactly what that is, full immersion, right? Baptism means full immersion. Uh, You know, it's not like in the South, or at least when I was growing up, uh, you know, you ask someone, you're sitting down to dinner, and you ask someone, what kind of Coke do you want? You know, I'll have a, you know, I want sweet tea. Or I want a Dr. Pepper. You know, everything's a Coke. You know, or at least where, where, where I was from. But not so with baptism, right? What kind of baptism do you all use? Look, baptism is immersion, period. That's what the word means, right? And so he began to study, and he came to that understanding. It was full immersion. Now, as a result, he decided that the Bible did not support infant baptism. And in fact, when when an infant is baptized, how often do they immerse them in water? i've never known of it put a little water on their forehead or sprinkle it, or pour it or whatever they do but uh, you know they have a little looks like a bird bath and they'll put a little water on their head that's not baptism not only is that not baptism but you don't enact baptism upon a person right uh that's not of accountable age an infant certainly is not of accountable accountable age so as a result he decided that he wanted to be immersed and his family was going to be immersed. So finally they found, and this is always kind of bothered me a little bit, <clears throat> but again, they're coming out of darkness, right? They couldn't find a preacher who would do it for them. We'll just do it to each other, right? I mean, that's kind of my thinking. <clears throat> just baptize each other. But they still had that denominational mindset in a whole lot of ways, right? We had to find a preacher, you know, an ordained Someone who was legally allowed. Well, legally allowed by who? Well, whatever association, right? That's the idea that was still sticking with them. So, But they finally did find a preacher who uh, uh, agreed to baptize them, and uh, his name was Matthias Luce, L-U-S-E. He was a Baptist preacher. And uh, so uh, in addition to uh, himself... In his family, a total of seven other people, uh, desired to be baptized. And before long, this kind of goes back to uh, uh, Brother Joe's comment about what kind of church did they have there. <clears throat> well, before long, almost the whole congregation at Brush Run had been immersed in water. <coughs> now, uh, does that necessarily mean that you're a Christian? All Baptists are immersed in water, but are they New Testament creatures? Uh. Sure, yeah, yeah. That's how they yeah that's how they got their name. Absolutely, it matters for what purpose. So they hadn't gotten there yet. They hadn't gotten there yet, uh, but they knew that baptism was immersion. But they hadn't gotten to the point where they understood why. Okay, that's a big deal, isn't it? But we see step by step, they're coming out of denominationalism. I mean, you know, it, to me, what they did is it, it was unprecedented. And I don't know that, that anything like that has ever happened since then. They were coming out of that with no help. Now think about that for a moment. No one was helping them come out of it. No one was saying, now wait a minute, think about this, you know. I sit down. and I study with a whole lot of uh, <clears throat> denominational uh, people, and I, I sit down, and you know, and I'll ask them, uh, you know, how did you become a Christian? At what point did you become a Christian? And and they'll say, well, <clears throat> you know, when I when I believed. And you know, you find out later on they were baptized. And then when we go through the Scripture and we talk about certain things, and a lot of times I'll ask them, I say, if you put aside everything you've been told. Are are you a New Testament Christian? I mean, almost 100% of the time, I've I've heard them say, no, I'm not. They didn't have that help. They didn't have someone encouraging them and saying, now, wait a minute, think about this over here. They were doing it on their own. And I I think back, I don't know that I'd be able to do that. I hope I would, but I don't know that I would. And so, uh, you know, I think this is This is amazing. And uh, But again, kind of back to, to the, the question, what kind of church did they have going on there? Well, it wasn't hardly the New Testament church yet, but they were getting closer. They did have that. Yeah. But they had a thousand years of Protestantism and denominationalism, and they were blinded by that were blinded by that <clears throat> and uh you know if uh, you know for instance uh, clay clay came out of the, the baptist church you know and he looks at at the plan of salvation now it's very clear to him wasn't really clear back then was it not much you know and he knew acts 238 and he had acts twenty two sixteen, and you know people who who grow up in a family where their parents are members of the church that's just second nature to them, right? You know, by the time you're three, you can quote Acts 2.38, right? And uh, uh, But if you're a member of a denomination, and you've had drilled in you, drilled in you, drilled in you, uh, we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith, faith alone, you know. Of course, it doesn't say faith alone, but that's drilled into them, and they think that's in the Bible. And so when someone says, now, wait a minute, you know, to someone who's a Christian, yeah, it's very clear. But it's not clear to someone who is not a Christian, not not reared in that environment, right? Very different, very different. Uh, excuse me, because, uh, you know, Paul's words have been so misused that, uh, you know, I don't know who they've got preaching pre- preaching that message, but it's certainly not Paul. But anyway... They're not hardly the New Testament church, but they're moving that way. And they're moving pretty quickly, really. Uh, but the, the idea that they decided to be immersed in water, which was out of the ordinary, right? Because what were the Presbyterians doing? Sprinkling. What were the Methodists doing? Sprinkling or pouring or whatever they're doing. Well, when that congregation of people decided they wanted to be baptized, it got the attention of the Baptists, Right? They said, all right, we've got, some, we've got some partners now in the area, <clears throat> some people that we can kind of team up with. And uh, because of that, Alexander Campbell, because he was such a fine preacher, and he was so simple in his uh, imparting information, he started getting invitations from the Baptists. Come preach for us. Well, he was a little reluctant at first. He didn't know whether he ought to do that or not. And uh, uh, he was not particularly uh, impressed with Baptist preachers. And so he thought, well, I don't know if I want to go do that. Well, come to find out, the members, the average member at that time in this area, they weren't very impressed with their Baptist preachers either. And so that kind of changed his mind a little bit. He said, okay. Uh, I'll go. Uh, I'll go do that. And here's how he described uh, Baptist preachers. He said they're little men in big offices. I think that's probably correct. Not just for these Baptist preachers, but for any denominational anyone in the hierarchy. Right? And I don't mean your average member. Uh, I think they're good folks. You know, uh, the average member of the denomination. I think they love God and they want to do right. I don't have that opinion of the hierarchy. They, look, they know, they know they can't do miracles. They know they can't speak in tongues. They know that, okay? But anyway, uh, in the fall of 1812, the uh, Redstone Association, Baptist Association, was having a meeting at Uniontown, Pennsylvania. And uh, Campbell decided to go. Okay, He wanted to go, but he was going to go as a spectator. All right, He was known. He'd been preaching. He'd been getting invitations. He hadn't gone and, and preached yet, but he would eventually go. And so he went to listen uh, to see kind of what was going on in this association, and he was invited to speak. He declined. When he left, he said, I will never go back to another uh, association meeting again. He was so disturbed at what went on and disgusted. He said, I'll never visit another one. But uh, again, on his way home, he learned that the membership of the Baptists didn't care a whole lot for him either. So that spurred him on. He said, okay, I'll go preach. I'll go present uh, the gospel message as he understood it. And... uh, uh Here's the problem that he had, and rightly so, with uh, the, the the preachers in that area. They embraced partyism over scripture. They were going to defend, and we're going to see that a little later on, when he gets himself into trouble with this Redstone Association. They defended partyism over the over the gospel, and uh, so uh, uh, what he decided to do was because they had been inviting them to come into this association because they had been immersed. He said, okay, I'm going to put it before the congregation. He put it before the congregation. They kind of debated about it. And so they said, all right, we'll join this Redstone Association, Baptist Association, because they had been baptized. I don't know that they were necessarily looking at that themselves as being a part of a denomination because they said they didn't want any of that. It was just on the fact that they were immersed but what they did, they said, we're going to draw up a document and we're going to present it to them. And, we're, and in essence, the document said, we're going, to, we're going to preach what the Bible preaches. You're not going to put any restriction on us doing that. If we show it in the Bible, we're going to preach it. And ultimately, the Redstone Association agreed to that and they took them on as members. And in 1813, they were admitted. Now, there was a small minority of people in that association didn't want them to come in. Okay, mainly uh, uh, these preachers, the the people in general, said, let's bring them in. But that small uh, minority of people would, would uh, uh, continue to be a thorn in their side. And over time, guess what happened? Well, what's Alexander Campbell preaching? He's preaching the truth of the New Testament. He just doesn't fully understand it himself at this time. But he's preaching what the Bible says. And uh, what's that going to cause? Big problems in the association. They don't like it. What's that sound like? Well, let's go all the way back to the Reformation movement. Wycliffe and all those people. They're preaching uh, the truth of the gospel. So, what? What's the first instinct? Well, during the Reformation movement, they want to kill him, right? Let's kill him. Uh, let's throw him in jail. Let's do whatever. We got to stop him, one way or the other, right? And so. Uh, 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 Campbell wasn't going to conform and accept uh, uh, their Baptist doctrine. He just wasn't going to do it. Any comments? Questions? Okay. Now, in August of 1816, they had another association meeting. This place, It met this time at a place called Cross Creek. Okay? And... Uh, in spite of protests from his enemies, and he had a lot of them, he was invited to speak at this. And it was on that occasion, he delivered one of the greatest sermons not recorded in the Bible. It was the Sermon on the Law. And in this sermon, he began to differentiate between the old law and the new law. Okay? All the way down through... uh, all the aspects of how the old law has been done away with, uh, the Jewish commonwealth kingdom uh, and the church kingdom, the letter of the law and the spirit. And he, del- he delineated all of that on down through. And uh, why would that be a problem? Well, like today, the hierarchy at that time of this Redstone Association of the Baptist denomination, they said we're still under the old law. Except what? What do people, and they were still doing it today, except the ceremonial part of the law. So we don't have to offer animal sacrifice. We don't have to burn in. All those things are difficult. The difficult part. You know, how difficult is it not to murder your neighbor? Not too hard, right? But offering sacrifice, and it's not just an animal sacrifice. There were all kinds of sacrifices six hundred and fifty or so laws under the old testament, right? And so uh they uh decided that uh you know they didn't like that. Now how and let's go back to uh this is a good point. Campbell and, and that brush run church, they they had Acts two thirty eight they had Acts twenty two sixteen and a whole myriad of other passages, right? So how is it that this Redstone Baptist Association and all the other uh, really denominational uh, associations? How could they come to the idea that we still live under the old law? When we look in Colossians two fourteen, Ephesians uh, four, you know the the having nailed the old uh, law to the cross, uh, Hebrews chapters uh, eight nine and ten, Christ, Ephesians three. Uh, Christ coming to uh, do away with the old, or to do away with the first one, I think it says, to in- institute the second one. I mean, there is just a whole litany of passages that we could look at and uh, uh, and say, how can they come to that? Well, you know, Campbell was, was preaching just like he always preached, very simple, using uh, uh, Scripture, but it was an assault on their theology, wasn't it? And it hurt their feelings on top of that. They didn't like it. You know, you got this guy coming in, and uh, so this uh, uh, created a storm of persecution. But guess who liked that preaching? The common man, the average member. Uh, they liked the way that, that he presented that, Right? but it fanned kind of the the flames and the fires of the bitterness that these preachers had against him. Now this was their reply, and, and this tells us how right Alexander Campbell was when he said they choose partyism over the gospel. These preachers, they got together and they said, this will never do, this is not our doctrine. Our doctrine. That's a big problem, isn't it? Whose doctrine do we follow? Do we follow our doctrine? We don't have a doctrine, right? We don't have a church. We're members of the New Testament church. We make up the New Testament church. But it's Christ's doctrine. It's Christ's church, right? We just follow the rules He has laid down and set forth. So what do you think happened next? Now remember, we're dealing with denominations, and we go back to the Catholic Church, the Reformation Movement. We go to the the Church of England and the problems there we go to the Protestant uh, church then then all the denominations what's their first thing they want to do let's get rid of him let's bring him up on charges right let's bring him up on church that's what they decided to do they charged him with teaching false doctrine and they uh, brought him up for a trial in 1817 and uh, uh, now here's what happened Wasn't a whole lot of people around that accepted his sermon on uh, the law, okay? And really in about three different states, there was only about 150 people that agreed with that. But somehow or another, he got off the hook. They were able to to get the charges dismissed against him, but some of these uh, preachers determined to manufacture a sentiment that would have him expelled from the association when it met in eighteen twenty three who's that remind us of? let's go back to the old testament. let 's think about Daniel. They couldn't get Daniel to break the civil codes or the civil laws, so what they say, the only thing we can find that we can blame him for has to do with his religion because they knew he wasn't going to falter in his religion, so they come up with this idea you can't pray to anybody but the king. Well, what's Daniel going to do? Well, we know the history. He's not going to pray to the king. That's kind of what they're doing here. They're going to manufacture a sentiment against Alexander Campbell to get him booted from uh, uh, the association. And to make that happen, they started politicking among each other. They started finding people who disagreed. And uh, uh, they wanted to exclude and dismiss this man who authored this terrible sermon on the law uh, from the fellowship of the association. That would have been the second best thing. We're going to find out next time what the first best thing was. Any comments or questions before before we quit? All right, well we'll pick up here next time. Thank you.